Welcome to All Nations Church, live from Sudbury, Ontario, Canada. Please welcome those joining us on the KFM radio network in Sudbury and across northern Ontario. Let's welcome our live stream audience at allnationschurch.ca. Stay tuned for today's life-changing message. Worship the greatness of our God. A great God and greatly to be praised. Thanks for worshiping with us today, church. You can be seated. It's a delight to join you today and to uh, be your guest speaker today. It's a delight to be here. Now, how many of you have ever kind of got stuck in a little bit of self-pity? Or ever kind of felt a little bad for yourself or figured, well, you know, I'm right and everybody else is wrong and nuts to them. Ever been there? It's very easy to become very entitled. And, and not too long ago, I was kind of going through a bit of a, a bit of sense of this in my life. I was being challenged on a couple of things. And, and one of the dangers of, of playing music sometimes, this is one of the dangers, is that especially when you do some leading and some singing and things of that nature, um, you get a, to build a bit of an audience and a bit of a rapport with people, which, which that's a great thing. There's nothing wrong with that. That's a good thing. It's just the trouble is when things start going to the head a little bit too much, where you sometimes you can get a little bit too dangerous and you start thinking, oh, well, I can't do any wrong. I'm amazing. Everybody loves me. And then... <laughs> Sometimes when you get that attitude and that gets lodged in the brain, you're no longer open to things like correction. You're no longer open to things, somebody suggesting something to do a little bit differently. You start taking things personally. Well, the audience loves me. Find the way I am. And you can get this, you can kind of wallow a little bit and even kind of get a little bit discouraged in some ways, but you kind of start taking things a little bit too personally. But sometimes you start getting justifying the fact that, well, I'm right, nobody else is, and that's fine and, and nuts to them. But you don't get open to some of the things that may actually come and revolutionize your life or revolutionize the way you do things or might actually build a bigger rapport, whatever the case may be, and actually lead people closer to Christ. Sometimes we gotta get out, learn to get out of our own way, and I've had to learn to do that. I'm still struggling with that from time to time. The ego can be a very dangerous thing, can't it? And sometimes we can see some of the biggest successes in our lives, but without God and without uh, enough people around us that we trust that can speak into our lives and pour into our lives, we become very dangerous. And when we become dangerous, we can actually cause more harm to people, including ourselves, than is necessary or than is appropriate. Today we're talking about the idea of community. Together is what the the message is called today, creating life-changing connection. You see, more and more I'm seeing this in our culture. I'm doing more and more of this, and I think so many of us are too. We're living life a little bit through our three-inch screens too much. Anybody else like that? And you get to this point where you're connected with a lot of different people. And even people you know and may meet face-to-face, we're texting each other and that kind of thing. And, And we feel in a way more connected than we've ever been before, but the truth is we're actually more disjointed and more disconnected because we're actually not facing each other and we're not actually communicating face to face as much. You know what the interesting things is? If you wanna let somebody down now or give them some disappointing news or say, well, I can't make it to this event or that kind of thing, do you remember how you used to have to phone somebody? like manually when the thing was still attached to the wall. And the thing about that was, you heard this disappointment in somebody's voice, right? You ever remember hear that? Sorry, I can't make it. And the tone just goes flat. And then you suddenly feel like the worst thing in the world, right? Well, they came up with a cure for that, text messaging. You just said, no, sorry, I can't make it, done. 
out the door. There's no ownership of anything. There's no, I'm disappointed. There's no, we, we do that. People are ending significant relationships over text messages. Don't want to deal with the hurt. Don't want to own my stuff. Just, we'll just text this and get rid of this. This happens all the time. It's not healthy. It's not a good thing, is it? See, that's the thing. We're, we have this false sense of connection. And the issue really comes down to this fact is that we're lonely. One of the great dangers of some of those attitudes, like I talked about before, this attitude of self-absorption, because that's really what our society is creating in so many of us. Um, this, ad, this danger of self-absorption, is that it sets up a concept in their mind that you're always right and everybody else's opinions don't mean too much or don't have to matter. You can actually stray and keep right on this course that you're going in, even if it's not a healthy one. And more often than not, now we will shut down relationships. As I said, we'll walk away and we rarely examine our part in maybe the tragedy we've created or the potential bomb that could be going off as a result of some of the actions that we've put out there, some of the things that we've done. We've become very proud. We often hide behind some of our failures, and sometimes some of us even hide behind some of our successes. We don't really want people to see who we really are. And why is this? What's the danger of that? Why are we so lonely today? Why do we think we're not, but we actually are? Why are we gravitating to be more alone and walk away from others? And you know, all of us have these feelings from time to time. We think we're doing okay, but are we really? Have we really asked ourselves some of these very important questions? And I know I'm talking to a wide variety of people in this room, and many of you, I can look at your faces right now and I see the successes you are in life and those amazing things that you've done, amazing milestones you've accomplished and other people that you've inspired. And those are healthy things, but have you really examined yourself? This, this has to happen really on a daily basis. We have to understand who we are and understand the task and the assignment that God has for us next to go and make a difference in the world because that's the purpose in all of our lives is to go and make a difference. But you cannot do that on your own or in your own strength. I'm gonna tell you about an Old Testament character. This is a prophet from the Old Testament named Elijah. Now, if you've ever heard the story of Elijah, there's several stories in the Old Testament about him, but one thing that is really interesting to note was at the end of his time on earth, this is the only human being that never had to face physical death. Right? Even Christ died on the cross, right? We know he rose again, obviously. Christ experienced the physicality of death. Elijah didn't. When God was done with him, he took him up on a chariot of fire right into heaven. Your assignment's done. So if you don't think God loves this guy, you get another thing coming to you. He didn't have to actually physically expire. God would take this guy into heaven. One of the greatest victories in the story of Elijah was because he's one of the most revered and respected of all of Israel's leaders. He was the main prophet over the land. During this point in Israel's history, Israel's King Ahab and Queen Jezebel were ruling. They were in leadership and they turned the majority of the population away from serving God and serving an idol God called Baal. And God told Elijah to call together the prophets of Baal and the king himself and the servants of the king and the servants of these prophets to show them that their God wasn't real. They all built these altars and Elijah said to them, let's prove once and for all who is the real living God. Is it Baal or is it Israel's God, the one true God? And Elijah would tell the prophets of Baal to pray that Baal would light the altars on fire from heaven without striking a single match. And they prayed and nothing happens. Elijah even taunted them a little bit and said, hey, come on, pray louder. He must not be hearing you. Pray louder. And so they do and still nothing happens. And then Elijah makes a bet with them. He says, look, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do something really interesting here. Bet your life. Give me your life. And if God will um, come down, if my God will come down and light this altar on fire, 
he said, your life is in my hands. And so they agreed to this because they're like, well, it's not going to work. There's no way it's going to work. And then Elijah gets, gets uh, to this moment of so, such huge confidence in God, which is healthy, but borderline not in a sense. He tells them, all right, soak this altar. They dump water on this thing. I mean, it is covered in water. And there's no way that, you know, wet wood doesn't burn really well, does it? Hardly at all. Good luck to you. It takes a lot, a lot to light those things on fire. Then Elijah prays, and in a moment, a strike from heaven comes down. God lights the altar on fire. Shows this incredible thing. And then because the lives of these other prophets of this false god were delivered into his hand, he executed them. Right in front of the king, the king of Israel right now, who is serving this other god, watches and sees the true power of God. Would that not create revival in the nation? Would that not fix the problem? No, here's the issue. King Ahab, to give you a bit of an idea, and I have to be very polite as I uh, approach this subject, and I will do the best I can. You have seen relationships between spouses where there's pretty equal footing between the two, right? And we would argue that that's a healthy thing. And we've also seen some relationships where one clearly is more the leader and the other is clearly not more the leader. Do you understand what I'm saying? In this case, Ahab didn't wear the proverbial pants in the family, all right? Jezebel was really the, the one that was the issue. So after this event happens, Ahab rushes home. He tells Jezebel, I don't even know what's going on in this guy's mind, but if I'm him, I'd be excited. You should have seen this thing. The actual God, Israel's God, comes down, lights this thing on fire. Jezebel is so convinced and so much in serving the God of Baal, she, she sends a warning out to Elijah. She said, you know, may my gods deal ever so severely with me if you're not dead in 24 hours after this. So she threatens his life. So here's a guy that understands the faithfulness of God. He certainly understands his big moment. He, he sees what God can do. And yet what happens to Elijah? The king's even there for Pete's sake. He gets afraid, doesn't he? You ever been afraid? Afraid of trying something a little bit different or going out of your comfort zone or doing something a little bit different? Well, that's exactly what happened to Elijah. He got very afraid. God uh, actually put him to the test in a way. But as we know, God would come through for him in this miraculous way. And I'm gonna pick it up here at 1 Kings uh, chapter 19, verses one to three, and I'll read this. This is the next chapter following this event on Mount Carmel. It says, when Ahab got home, he told Jezebel everything Elijah had done including the way he had killed all the prophets of Baal with the sword. So Jezebel sent this message to Elijah. May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if the, by this time tomorrow I do not, make, do not take your life, just as you have taken like that, make that like one of them. Sorry, I got the wrong translation. Like that of one of them. So in other words, she's going to murder him. She is going to see him killed for this action. So why would Elijah get afraid? That's one of the real questions I have. He defeats these prophets. God does this for him and on his behalf. Why is it that he would get afraid? Why would he doubt it now? Why would he have a need to become alone and run away? Because, well, okay, they're human. That's a good thing. But here's the issue. The true issue is, is that he really got discouraged. And discouragement happens, and it's a very easy thing that creeps up into each one of us. The enemy does that. He puts, plants a seed of doubt in our minds, a seed of discouragement. And when that discouragement takes root, dangerous things can happen. I'm going to give you a line here that you'll never forget. Discouragement destroys success. Discouragement will destroy success. It doesn't matter how big your success is. If you focus too much and let the seed of discouragement germinate in your life, it will destroy any success you have. It will even prevent you from having future success or future milestones. It is a human response, operating in your own strength and your own agenda in spite of God's desire and design for life that gives the encouragement and support only found in community. Elijah, the truth of his, about Elijah is that he was really a lone wolf 
in many senses. And he suddenly very much realized this. Therefore, he got discouraged. His discouragement wasn't shared by a close friend or to a community of believers who could support him or lift him up in prayer. So here's the first thing that God does for Elijah. And this even goes back right to history, to the Garden of Eden. What did God do after one day of Adam by himself? What happened? He created Eve, right? He said, this is no good. Nobody should be alone. So right from the beginning of time, the first moment of creation, God said, it is not good for a person to be on their own. And so God created Eve. Community started in that moment. And this is what happens in 1 Kings uh, chapter 19 and verse three. Elijah was afraid and fled for his life. He came to Beersheba, which is a town in Judah. He left his servant there. And while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. And he came to a broom bush and he sat down under it and he began to pray that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life, for I'm no better than my ancestors who have already died. So he gets very afraid. I mean, how does you go from this big moment over here, God comes through to you, God's proven himself over and over, to this fear, and Lord, just take me now. I'm doing all this stuff, but I'm the only one out there. And so the first thing that God does is he provides physical presence, and he comes down in the form of an angel. So God doesn't leave Elijah alone and just simply communicate to him in spirit. He actually sends an angel. So he addresses the problem of this physical loneliness that Elijah is going through. One of the first points I want you to take home with you today, and these blanks are in your bulletins, and you can actually grab them online at allnationschurch.ca today as well, is that the enemy's plan is to isolate. And uh, I was very reminded about this, uh, inspired by Amanda this week, who reminded me of this very important point. You know how pack animals work? When a pack of wolves is chasing, say, a pack of deer or antelope or that kind of thing, what they do is they, they target a weak one in that herd, right? And, they, and they, they spot the weak one, and they figure it out mighty quick, and then they try to encircle that thing in a snare, get it off course of the herd, and that's when they encircle the thing and devour it. That's when destruction actually happens. So this idea of us getting alone and too far off course and getting away from community, the same thing happens. We get devoured by things like discouragement. We get devoured and seeds of doubt begin to be planted in our lives by the enemy himself because the enemy's plan is to isolate in order to create these issues. John 10 and 10 in the message would put it this way. A thief is only there to steal, to kill, and destroy. I came so they can have real life, real and eternal life, more and better than they have ever dreamed of. Real life, successful life, good life. That's the life that Christ promises us if we are to follow him. It is abundant life. It is not a life of loneliness. It is not a life of isolation or too much pressure. And the enemy actually uses things like discouragement and yes, even anxiety to keep us from making the connections many times that can be very life-altering. In Romans 8, Paul would write this, in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our what? In our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And I want to read this to you in the message as well that's up here. Meanwhile, the moment, can we go back once? Thank you. Meanwhile, the moment we get tired in the waiting. Have you been tired in waiting? I get like that. God's Spirit is right alongside helping us along, all right? If we don't know how or what to pray, it really doesn't matter. He does our praying in and for us, making prayer out of our wordless sighs and our aching groans. 
You see, that's the thing. When we get alone, sometimes we forget that even in our loneliness, God is with us. God has an intention for us to live in community, as we've already masterfully discovered. But see, God is there with us in this isolation. So even when we don't have the strength or the courage to pray for the things we need, God is doing that. His very spirit is at work praying for us and interceding for us on our behalf. The issue here is that we are at our most vulnerable state in life without community. You are vulnerable. It's much like those pack animals. You get targeted very easily. There's a sense of becoming an easy target, and that's when the enemy comes, and that's when the seeds of doubt can get planted in these things. At many weddings I do, I often quote this scripture. It's in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 9 to 12, and it reads like this. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, as we saw with the pack animals earlier, two can defend themselves. And a cord of three strands, that's really incorporating God in your life with the group of community, a cord of three strands is not quickly broken. It's very, very important to take God with you. Community is a very important part of who we are and what we need to do and how we need to live, not just live, but to thrive. But we need to have God in the midst of that community. It's not simply community for the sake of community, which is a good thing on its own, yes. But without God, we are not as strong as we could be. It's together and with Christ. So the response to Elijah's loneliness, we go back to 1 Kings 19 and verse 5. He lay down and slept under the broom tree, but as he was sleeping, an angel touched him and told him, hey, get up and eat. He looked around, and there beside his head was some bread baked on hot stones in a jar of water. So he ate and drank, and he laid down again. Then the angel of the Lord came again and touched him and said, get up and eat some more, or the journey ahead will be too much for you. So he got up, he ate and drank, and the food gave him enough strength to travel 40 days and 40 nights to Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. And then he came to a cave there where he would spend the night. You see, God provides his presence in physical form. This is a very big deal. I want you not to miss this. He addresses the loneliness of Elijah, the struggling and the discouragement of Elijah with physical presence. And we continue on in verse 13. A voice said to Elijah, this is when he was in the cave, what are you doing here, Elijah? And he replied, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you. They've torn down your altars and killed every one of your prophets. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. So here's a bit of this moment of woe is me, right? I'm out here, I'm by myself, you know, what have you done for me? Where's my community, Lord? And all this kind of thing. What, what happens to me? I'm out here, I'm by myself. And that's dangerous because, as we know, by ourselves, we are not as effective as we are with a larger group of people. It's a dangerous place to be. And Elijah was in that very dangerous position. Basically, he's crying out to God. They're all trying to kill me too. So what's going to happen to this country if I'm gone? And then that's when a little bit of this, um, uh, you know, sense of self really comes in here. What's going to happen when I'm gone? You start almost overvaluing yourself and not realizing that, you know, God will raise other people up without you. He doesn't really need you. He does need you in a sense. But even if you're gone tomorrow, God will raise others up and we have to entrust him to do that. But sometimes we can get this whole sense of self-importance and focus too much on that. Like, well, what are they going to do without me? Get very entitled, right? And that's in a sense where I really see Elijah going here. He's gotten very entitled. And that's a bit of the dangerous part of him that I see in this life. 
So we need to learn to work out our differences and also be accountable with each other. And that's not easy, is it? We have to be able to learn to leave our sense of self-worth and really clothe that with the humility that only God can give us. There are things that we have, there are things that we can inspire and teach others in community, but we also have to be teachable ourselves and be open to a different idea and be open to another thing because God may be speaking to you directly through another person as you learn and build a relationship with them and trust and accountability. James chapter five puts it this way. Therefore, confess your sins or your problems to each other. Pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is what? Powerful and effective. All right, so the prayer is powerful and effective of a righteous person. If you're praying and you're not living quite right, if you are not uh, submitting yourself to community, if you're not accountable, those prayers are only gonna go so far. God has another lesson to teach you, to get you to understand that he has a way that is much better than even the direction that you have set for yourself. See, the other thing about community that people really don't love in this day and age is that requires personal sacrifice, right? We don't like to have our time eaten up. We are, we've, we've become very self-absorbed as a culture. We love to do our own thing. And hey, doing some good things on your own is healthy. You should have some alone time. You should have some time, especially time with God, to learn to hear the still, small voice. But that doesn't happen necessarily all the time. God communicates to us through the still, small voice, yes. He communicates to us through scripture when reading his word. Big, huge, important things, things to learn, to hear his voice, to understand his word and the direction that he has for us. Those are important things. But God also speaks to us through others. God speaks to us in community. So community requires this personal sacrifice, but it rewards with genuine and real connection. That is another part of not just connecting with each other, but also connecting you and God more, because God can teach you things through others in your life. Paul writes this to the Romans, therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Don't conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, his pleasing, and his perfect will. Be transformed. Allow your mind to be renewed. Allow your mind to be open. Be transformed by the renewing of that mind. For by grace given to me, I say to each one of you in verse three, don't think of yourselves more highly than you ought. And I needed to hear that a few weeks ago, I'm gonna tell you. It's amazing how God just puts a scripture like that in your path and just stops you in your tracks and goes, hang on a second, buddy. You know, is it really about you? Who's it about, right? Don't think of yourselves more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith that God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, these members do not all have the same function. So in Christ, though many, form one body, and each member um, uh, belongs to all of the others. So the truth of the matter is, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ today, you belong to the community of believers. And there is an important thing that you bring to the community of believers that nobody else does, and that nobody else can. Now some of you are looking going, well I'm not a preacher, I'm not a speaker, no it doesn't even matter about that. That may not be your calling, but to, you may be called to be in a group of people where you speak life, and you speak encouragement that actually transforms somebody else's life. 
That's what you're called to do. We're called to be in community, and there is a portion of you that because you were created by a loving Heavenly Father, you belong to others. You do not just belong to you, and you also belong to your Creator and His purposes. Never forget this. You know, um, uh, I'm gonna tell you about this. First Kings chapter 19, we're gonna go back to verse 15. And uh, the Lord tells Elijah, after speaking with him and calling him out of that cave, the Lord told him, go back the same way you came and travel to the wilderness of Damascus. When you arrive there, anoint Hazael to be king over Aram. Then anoint Jehu, grandson of Nimshi, to be king of Israel. He's gonna replace Ahab and Jezebel one day, all right? And then anoint Elisha, the son of Shaphat, from the town of Abel-Maholah, to replace you as my prophet. God starts lining up the plan for him. Okay, here's, here's the next leader for this community. Here's Israel's next leader. You're gonna go do that, because that was the prophet's job, was to actually anoint the next king and crown the next leader. God spoke to him, he did that, and then he says, all right, start replacing yourself. You're not gonna be here forever. Go out there, train someone in my words, train the next prophet, allow him to listen. God already chose who the next prophet will be. And at the end of this, verse 18, he says, yet I will preserve 7,000 others in Israel who have never bowed down to Baal or kissed him. So here's Elijah, a few minutes ago, I'm all alone, what are you gonna do? I'm all alone, I'm all by myself. And God's going, Not only are you not alone, there's 7,000 people who feel the same way you do. You ever think about that? There's 7,000 people in Israel alone. I'm not sure what the correct population of Israel was at that time, but it was a pretty large number considering. Same thing with Christianity. You are not alone. You go to any community in 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 this province of Ontario, in this country of Canada, there are churches all over the place. There are communities of believers. There's no way, shape, or form that we should feel alone as believers in Jesus Christ. There's no excuse for us to be alone. You need to go and be a part of a body of Christ somewhere, to plant yourself into a home church, to get in a small group, to learn more, and to connect with others because you have something that they don't have, a gift that God has given you to go make a difference in your community. There is absolutely no excuse for this. 7,000 people, God points out to Elijah, and he does this as kind of like a caveat. He raises them up and says, oh, by the way, I got 7,000 people over here. Go meet them. Go inspire them. Go nurture them. Go teach them. Go build their faith because the country is going through a hard time right now. It's turned its back on me. But you have an opportunity to turn that around by training the next leader ahead of, uh, that's going to come behind you and encourage these saints so that Israel will get back one day on its right track. I can't tell you how many times I've heard this. Oh, I find God in nature. And, and yes, you do find God in nature. I'm not trying to you know, get rid of that part of it. I mean, I found God in nature. Uh, some of the best conversations I've had with God uh, was sitting at a, at, a, at a deer stand hunting because you're at your quietest, right? You're listening for any crackle in the bush. But let me tell you, I've heard the voice of God more clearly in the silence than anywhere else. It is important for you to have that connection with God, to find him in the silence. We cannot get away from that. However, it is vitally important for you to take that and to be in community. Solo time is good if you are using it to connect, to connect with God. But here's what I want you to do today. Here's a couple of things. First of all, find your tribe. If you want to call it a tribe, find your tribe. Find your people. Find people that you can be in community with, who inspire you, who nurture you, but most importantly, who nurture your faith, who build you up in your faith, not discourage it or question it. People that build your faith so that you can have a greater impact in the community around you. Next thing is to pass on the knowledge you have. You need some successive encouragement. 
God is a funny way of putting people on our path who we can identify with or that has similar experience that we can share and encourage each other in. And folks, we can't afford not to do community. One of the greatest people and one of the greatest inspirations on this planet that God gave us just about 100 years ago or so, the turn of the 20th century, was Helen Keller. If you remember Helen Keller, blind, right? Deaf. And what do you do when you've lost two of those major, major, major senses? But there was a voice there that was never silenced. There was an inspiration and a calling in her life that in spite of these disabilities that God used so powerfully. She wrote this line and and it is just fascinating me. It says, alone we can do so little, but together we can do so, so much. Isn't that amazing? Alone we can do so little, together we can do so much. See, the burdens in life become a lot lighter when you have others to help you lift those burdens. In 1 Thessalonians, we're reminded by Paul that there's a great day coming. And we live for this as believers all the time. We live for what we don't see. We live for a God that, yes, we can't see him physically, but he manifests himself through others. He manifests himself through the events in your life. There's connection with him all the time. And the fact that he came and he would die on a cross but didn't stay dead, he rose again and proved that he held the keys to death in the grave. It was up to him. And then if we would believe in him, we would have everlasting and eternal life. Paul would even remind the church in 1 Thessalonians, it's not on the screen, but the Lord himself is going to come again from heaven with a loud command, the voice of the archangel and the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be what? With the Lord. We will be with him. There is a great day coming. There's an excitement coming. But there's a caveat that Paul puts at the end of that powerful thing. It's not just so shall we ever be with the Lord. There's this important line we often read very silently and kind of humdrum and pass off, but it's the most important line to me. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Encourage one another with these words. We need a reminder that God is coming back. We need a reminder that God is ever present in a world full of chaos. We need reminders that he is holding the keys to death and the grave. And we need a reminder that we don't have to live in discouragement or fear because of the great awesome power he's done. And he's got something in your life that he's ready and willing and able to unlock a potential that even you yourself don't see in this moment. Encourage one another with these words. You need to live in community. Never forget that. Commitment sometimes scares us, doesn't it? But what if we are try something and just see what happens? So one of the things I want you to try is to actually get in a small group. We've got a great series coming up. Get yourselves in a small group. Build some friendships in faith. Build some friendships that connect your faith life to others. There's a couple of things I want you to look at that are physical and sometimes uh, emotional examples that drive us towards loneliness. These are some warning signs, and if you have some of these signs or know somebody that does, encourage them to talk, talk to them. If you're suffering from things like physical and mental exhaustion, you need to talk about that. You need encouragement. You need a team of people around you. You need some coaching. We all need coaching. Separating yourself from healthy and strengthening relationships. It is unhealthy as it doesn't build you personally or encourage you to achieve. You need others around you to encourage you, to spur you on. There's something about the physical that, can't, that a text message can't fix. The text message just does not replace. You need physical community. You need a smile on the face. You need those things. You need the pat on the back. You need the prayer in the room that'll make all the difference. If you're living with discouragement because things aren't always working out the way that you plan them, understand that every road has bumps. Look where you live. 
every road has bumps. I haven't driven anywhere in months where I haven't hit a bump and go, oh, my suspension, right? Every road has bumps. It must be interesting to be a police officer, and this is a real aside, seeing a guy like me swerving all over the road, and I have not, haven't had a drink. No, it's called I can't afford a suspension job, sorry. We do this, right? You're prepared for the road ahead of you, but there's some things you just have to swerve for. There's some things you have to be there, and you have to be ready for that. So if you're allowing discouragement to turn into self-pity, if you're allowing that to even sow a seed of depression in you, you need help. You need people. You need someone. See, all our lives are a vessel. We're like a bottle. We can only hold so much. But when things are stacked in in the right order, and I've talked about this before, if they're stacked in the right order in that bottle, you can fit amazing amount of things inside that bottle if things are done in the right way. So we have a couple of uh, really important things here at our church, and one of our core values is in a statement that has three parts, and then Heather's gonna put it on the screen. And the first one is called you and God. That is a necessary thing. You and God, you need time uh, for you and God on your own. And then there's you and a few. That's a small group, or that's a tight-knit community of close friends that share the same faith as you, that encourage you, and that build you up in your faith. And then there's you and many. It's incredible when the corporate people of God, the corporate church gets together and lifts their arms and their hands together in worship. Mountains are moved in places like this because we are together. There is a power in many and we see the manifestation of the power of the Holy Spirit unlike ever before because we get together. Jesus said, even if two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst. I am in that. Yes, we can find God on our own, and we need to find God on our own in our day-to-day lives, but we can't just have an alone time with God. We will become discouragement. We'll get too proud. We will think that we are on, our, on the right path when we are suddenly stirring away from the right path or the plan of purpose that God has for our lives, which is bigger than we can imagine. So never forget this. You and God, you and a few, and you and many. There's a quote I want to leave you with today, and it says this, a lack of community creates a false sense of immunity. Sometimes society today teaches us and pushes us, you know, to get away from people and steer away because, you know, if if we don't get too close to people, then we'll become immune to the effects. We'll become immune to some of the emotional effects that other people bring and that kind of thing. And sometimes we think, oh, if I was just, just get me away from all these people and I'll be fine. But here's the thing, we're called in relationship to work out things. You know, we think that we're going to be immune to all these things, but the issue, the issue is, is that you yourself have issues too, and they need dealt with, and they need the community of other people to help work you through those things. Community is vital, but uh, that's the thing. A lack of community will create this false sense of immunity. You'll think you're better off than you really are, and the issue is you need community. We can't do life without it. We can't do it alone. So go to the Lord for strength today. And solo time is okay. Don't, don't negate the solo time, but make sure you're communicating with God. Find him. And I guarantee if you're finding proper, good, alone time with God, he's going to steer you to get together with a community of believers. So start listening to that still, small voice. Stand with me. Worship with this song, would you? You know it very well. This is...
my daily bread. This is my daily bread. This is my daily bread. Your This is the air I breathe. This is the air I breathe. This is the air I breathe. You are. 
Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Father God, Father God, as we stand in your presence, as we breathe in the air in this room. Father God, as we just inhale your presence into our life, we thank you that you are all that we need. We thank you, Lord, that there is nothing more in this world that we need but you. And so we breathe in your presence. Thank you, Father. Church, you may be seated, and while we're just breathing in the presence of the Lord, let's join in communion together. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took some bread and he broke it. He said, this is my body broken for you. Today, as you eat this symbol of the body of the Lord, it can become his presence for you and for me. As we take this symbol of the body of the Lord, it become his living presence within you. Let's take and eat. After supper, he took the cup. This is grape juice. He said, here, I'm going to give my life for you. That you know, might know my presence. What is his presence? It's his Holy Spirit. It's the spirit of love. It's how God lives and breathes through you. As you breathe in his love, as you breathe in his presence and you breathe it out, to the world around you. Take a drink of his love for you today. 